doing the demo and like literally inviting like Peter Jones and Deborah Meaden to come up and try our scrubs mm. and stuff like that. It just it's a really surreal uh, mm. moment when you've seen these people on TV, particularly some of the longer standing dragons. And here they are, um, you know, sitting back down and uh, yeah, it's very, very funny. Who was your favourite? Peter Jones, to be honest. I think he was he was the first person to make an offer and I was expecting him to be the most critical. Uh, it actually went completely the opposite way to what we anticipated. Deborah Meadon was the most critical and Peter was the least. And he just, I think he believed in us as people as well, mm. which is always nice. He thought that we were really investable and... Um, it, it had been hours and hours, as I mentioned, of all of this chat um, of, of like heavy, heavy finance stuff. And then at the end, he just was like, right, when was the last time you had a fight? And then there was like this 15 <laughs> minutes of all the sibling based chat of just like, yeah. you know, who's, who's this one? Who's this one? Who's Welcome to the Female Leadership Collective podcast. I'm your host, Susie Clark. On this show, we're all about helping high achieving women authentically find purpose and build fulfilling online businesses. I believe the key to happiness is channeling our talents into something that we really deeply care about. That's why I left my six figure career in finance in London, moved to Asia and now run my own mission led business in paradise. I found purpose and happiness in my life and I want to empower you to do the same. In today's world, we are so lucky in that we no longer have to work in the same office every single day. We can start our own online businesses and travel the world. On this show, I bring you examples of amazing role models who have done just that, quit their corporate jobs and successfully run online businesses. We talk through all things entrepreneurship, purpose, travel, femininity, nothing is off limits. I'm here to inspire you to spend your life doing something you truly love and make the impact you really want to make on the world. Before we start today, I just wanted to tell you about an incredible free event that I've organized called the Female Startup Summit. This is the most exciting announcement and exciting thing I've put out there yet. And I've rounded up seven incredible speakers for you with amazing workshops like branding your business, managing your money as an entrepreneur, human design, getting sales on autopilot using funnels. Like honestly, the lineup is so, so good. I am so excited. And the best part, tickets are absolutely free of charge. And you can sign up using the link in the show notes. So this event is for you. If you have a dream of starting your own online business and moving to Bali or traveling the world, or perhaps you started your business, but you're in a bit of a funky place with it and you want to get some inspiration, this is the event for you. And it's totally free. The summit is designed to be completely convenient for you. So it's easily watchable from anywhere in the world. None of this having to get up in the middle of the night to watch a live video because, you know, let's be honest, no one really wants to do that. <laughs> the speakers have each pre-recorded their value-packed workshops and access will be unlocked one by one every morning from the 10th of July. So all you have to do is find an hour a day to watch each workshop at a time that suits you. Masterclasses will be available for 10 days after July the 10th. And on top of the fact that it's free, 
we've decided to give everyone who registers the chance to win over $1,000 of prizes. Our speakers have been super generous with the prizes and there are places on their courses, little one-to-one sessions. It's an amazing prize and one lucky winner will take the lot. So you have to be in it to win it, register, and you might win that incredible prize. Head over to the show notes and save your spot now. Spaces are limited, so be quick. And please share the love for this event and encourage your friends to attend too. It's going to be such a valuable week. What you'll learn in this summit could help you start your dream business that could be your ticket out of your nine to five. Honestly, it's going to be amazing. Head to the link in the show notes and sign up now. I am so excited about today's guest. I was so excited when she said yes to coming on. Um, Her name is Anna. She is the co-founder of UpCircle and the business is so incredible. So basically they are a cosmetics brand and they make their um, products out of waste. So how they started was um, making creams and exfoliants out of coffee waste from a coffee shop in London. That's literally how they started. I'm just looking at the website now and there's so many amazing products that they have now from different ways. So there's palm oil free soaps that are made with residual chai spices from making um, chai syrups and other things like a toner made of the residual fruit waters from the juicing industry. Um, And it's just such an exciting concept that things can just be upcycled. Um, And they have now transformed more than 450 tons of coffee that would have ended up in um, landfill into sustainable skincare. And actually you might be thinking, oh, but it's coffee, it's organic. It will just, you know, um, biodegrade. But as Anna explains in the episode, they'll actually because it's often hot from um, coffee shops and things like that, it goes into landfill and produces methane gas, which is obviously a greenhouse gas and not good for the environment. And also she went on Dragon's Den. So I was so excited to talk to her about that experience and what that was like. And they got investment from, I think, three dragons. So we go into that and they are stocked in so many retailers, like Sainsbury's, Holland and Barrett, Whole Foods. Um, It's really amazing and really impressive. And I was, I felt so um, lucky to interview her on her story. So you're going to learn so much from this episode. Welcome Anna, I am so excited to have you on the podcast and it's amazing to be speaking to you and you're all the way in Battersea which is where I used to live so I'm so excited about that. Um, I would love to start with a little bit of background to you so um, if you could introduce yourself to the listeners, um, who you are and what you do that'd be amazing. Yes, well, firstly, I'm excited too. Thank you so much for the invite to be here. Uh, As you mentioned, my name's Anna. I'm the co-founder of UpCircle Beauty, which I launched with my brother six years ago. So we have had a fairly crazy ride so far. It's been a roller coaster of a first sort of chapter of a journey of creating a brand. Uh, What we do is very different to anyone else in our industry in that we are completely focused, as the name implies, on the circular economy and finding new uses for things that already exist. So we have that approach with both our ingredients and also our our packaging. Um, So to give an example, in every single formulation that we make, 
we use a byproduct ingredient that we've salvaged from a different industry. And we now work with more than 15 different byproducts, things like coffee grounds that we take from cafes and restaurants and put into scrubs. Uh, we even use a maple bark extract, which is from Canada, that we use in our eye cream for protecting the delicate skin. We use residual fruit waters salvaged from the juicing industry in things like toners and hand washes. And then with regards to the packaging, we have a full packaging return scheme as well, where people can uh, send us back their empties, which we then sterilize and refill their exact same packaging and send straight back. So um, that's that's what we're all about. There have been an awful lot of bumps and uh, <laughs> crazy decisions to make along the road, as always, with the, a startup business. But um, I have absolutely no regrets and it's the best thing I've ever done. Yeah, oh god, it's so the business model so amazing. Like so so many avenues I can take this on this conversation. Um but the, also the other interesting thing about you as well and I was reading about your background is you kind of come from more of a like a corporate-ish career from before. Mm. So I actually would love to start there because you you went to uni and you were kind of following this traditional path. Like at what point did you decide that you really wanted to start your own business? Like did you enjoy that part of your life or was that kind of out of alignment for you yeah it's, it's a great question and I feel like these things are either very very gradual or quite sudden so mm -hmm. I was only 22 when we started up circle so my career background is not necessarily that long mm -hmm. <laughs> although I did start start working from the age of 14 alongside my schoolwork but I guess it all starts at school where you start to develop your personality and, and the things that you love and the things that you hate. And I was not someone who knew what I wanted to be when I was older. I was definitely creative. You know, my favourite subjects were things like art and English. Um, but what on earth was I going to do in terms of a career with that? So when it came to making a university decision, I went down what many people advise, which was to follow your passions. And I studied art history. Uh, but again, not exactly the sort of degree that <laughs> brings you out with a clear, <laughs> clear career path. Yeah, um, I did enjoy it, and I was slightly strategic with that because if I if I wasn't thinking about you know pure career, then I probably would have gone with straight fine art. Uh, but I thought, okay, no, this is this combines a lot of other more academic skills, so I'll play it a little bit safe as such by doing the the history of part. Mm -hmm. um, so then, yeah, twenty one out of uni was potential I was offered by my uni to do a master's but I, I I was quite clear that I didn't want to go down the academic route I didn't want to end up in working in galleries and, and, and you know just pure studying and pure focus on art anymore if it wasn't going to be practical art so then I went into a fashion PR for a menswear brand for a little bit and was not new from that I did not want to be in the fashion industry and then I went into well, that was that was clear <laughs> in a very short amount of time. I did not want to be in the fashion industry. Then I went into um, property management, which was slightly accidental. I was supposed to just be a sort of administrator, but they fired my boss in the first week. So I took his job. And then I liked that. Uh, property was interesting, um, but, you know, I had no passion there. And then I had the big switch where I got onto this big grad scheme, which was quite hard to get onto. And I wasn't expecting mm -hmm. it. Uh, but that was in... Uh, area management of supermarkets so that took me into the retail space and sort of understanding of products and sell through and warehousing manufacturing you know the bigger picture business stuff obviously I was working for a 
global supermarket brand, mm -hmm. which is one of the biggest privately owned companies in the world. So it was you know, a, a massive scale. Um, and the responsibility I had at a young age was crazy. Um, you know, multiple stores, whole staff teams in each store. And, and I did love it. But again, it was the sense of being a tiny cog in a massive machine. Mm. Any sort of personality that I had was fairly stripped away. You, know, you had to dress a certain way, speak a certain way, be a certain way. Corp that's the corporate side, I suppose, of where I was, uh, what my background was before this. And it just so happened that my brother, who has the opposite personality and skill set as me, was having similar feelings. He's three years older and had a bit more of a, back, uh, you know, a career at this point, but he was working in uh, investment banks, hedge funds. Um, so very, very much in the, in the finance world um, and knew his strengths, uh, knew his weaknesses, but thought, I don't want to work for massive businesses where, you know, I'm in an office of 400, 500 people one of many offices that they have around the world and, and can't really make a big difference. And, and I'm just climbing a traditional ladder in my early 20s, which I know I'll be on until my 60s. And it was that kind of background that had us thinking, all right, let's let's look for that moment of inspiration mm -hmm. and perhaps join forces as a, as a partnership uh, in a new venture. Yeah, I love that. I love that positive thinking. And also, so I come from an investment banking background as well. So I know exactly how your brother feels. And interestingly, mm. actually, one of my colleagues came from similar graduate scheme as you. And she hit the ground running in banking because, you know, they teach you so much on that graduate scheme. Yeah. They're really, at a young age, they give you such responsibility. So even though it can feel like, oh, I'm just being molded into this number. Like it's some of these places are a great, great place to start. And I'm sure 100%. perhaps some of these contacts probably helped you later on. So yeah. what, like talk us through the exact, well, talk us through what happened then. Like, how did you, did you start to actively look for business ideas? Like, how did you come across your business idea? And did you kind of start doing it when you were working or did you quit your job and then go into it? I always like to talk about this transition part because yeah. so many people listening, that's actually the hardest part that they never, they never take the leap. So it's so great to actually um, understand exactly how people did it themselves. Yeah, I, I feel like our story is fairly unique on this the more people I speak to. <laughs> so the yeah. more I, we're, we're at a point now where we have people contacting us all the time saying, hey, I'm in the early stages. Like, what's your advice? Yeah. I've been doing, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. So you, we learn a lot about the different ways that people go about that transition. And what I find is often the case is that people think or plan for months and months and months, mm -hmm. if not years. And we didn't take that approach to be honest, we slightly just jumped <laughs> and were quite quick about it. And I think there are pros and cons to both. And I think, you know, for sure, you have to really be careful in those early stages. So, for example, William got paid a bonus, my brother, and immediately quit. <laughs> and so he was he was then he, he was he was out of his job sooner than I was. So he kind of laid the groundwork in the early stages. To be honest, I haven't even gone into the idea and how it happened. I'll, I'll, I'll flip back to that afterwards. Uh, it took me a little bit longer to, to get out of my job. So I was doing a lot of weekend work. So again, with my previous job, I had a car. So I didn't even live in London at that time. So I was driving back on Friday nights and often going to like consumer shows, trade shows on the weekends to 
we use those shows as well a lot to get um, early stage feedback on the products that we were making. So we would, you know, there's, there's no better opportunity to get hundreds and hundreds of people's opinions than to sit on a market stand over a weekend and have loads of yeah. scent variations with little, we used to use paper clips to have people vote. And then by the end of the weekend, there'll be clear winners. Um, and then we were like, well, right, okay, let's run, let's run with this. And it's so cheap, you know, you might, you might spend 40 pounds on a table for a, a, in a market. And then you've yeah. got thousands of people's opinions that help you shape the decisions that you make with regards to product development. Yeah. But uh, I would say it was, I, I think my notice was like two months or something. And again, I was pretty lucky because my boss said, this is kind of crazy. <laughs> um, but, you know, we support you. And if it all goes wrong, then you've got five years if you want to come back. So I was like, wow, that's that was a really nice uh, yeah. sort of blanket of security in those early days. But the other thing that we did quite quickly, so before I'd quit, my brother was renting a tiny little shoebox room in, in Hackney to work from. And I immediately said, you know, this is an expense that we absolutely cannot afford. We're not going to be making money for a long time. And again, being relatively young, our savings was humble, um, mm -hmm. mine in particular. So uh, we asked my mum and my dad, who, of course, we've got a, si a sister as well, who'd also moved out at this point. She was at uni. Uh, they have our three bedrooms that are basically unused. Do you mind if we have a little office on the top floor um, and, and work out of my parents' home, which we ended up doing for about a year and a half, which was a huge cost saving in those early days. But in short, yeah, the transition for us was pretty quick with regards to leaving our jobs and deciding to go for it. Um, there was, you know, we were thinking a lot at the beginning and, and researching, you know, the gaps in the market, competitors, uh, complications that might arise things like that but then when we were confident we just went for it and, and we jumped yeah. um so yeah it was it was pretty quick for us yeah I love that I think to be honest this is the trend that I'm hearing from most people like everyone says you know build up your revenue streams to a safe level until you can comfortably quit your job and it just kind of a lot of people who go into business you know smart intelligent people they've got good jobs they throw so much energy into it like it's really yeah. hard to just do both things so I yeah. think just you know taking that risk and just going for it seems to be the way um mm. and I'm, I'm really excited to hear about how you came up with the idea as well because it's such a unique and amazing idea so we should actually explain kind of like how that happened yeah so I have to give credit to William for this one he used to go into the same coffee shop every morning um on his way to his previous job and one day getting his normal morning coffee he just asked the barista you know when with each coffee cup that you get there's that little puck the metal puck that uh, collects the grounds and they turn yeah. it into a bin so so well, what happens to that like where does that go um because you can imagine a coffee shop with the day with hundreds of thousands of customers it's a huge amount of coffee that gets built up and he was really shocked when the guy said that he had to pay the local council to have the coffee disposed of and he said well where does it go and he said i'm pretty sure it just goes to landfill so that was the first thing where William then went probably on his lunch break or maybe not even <laughs> and started, you know, Googling what happens to, to coffee grounds and the waste mm. there. And actually, when it goes to uh, landfill from an industrial scale, this is so they're, they're put into bin bags of like 10, 15 kilograms, really heavy. It's wet. It's warm. Uh, and what happens is that it rots. And when it rots, it produces methane, which is obviously a greenhouse gas. Mm. So despite the fact that coffee is a, an organic natural ingredient, it's got this relatively unknown negative environmental impact. And you mm. can imagine th the world, the planet loves coffee. That's not going to stop anytime soon. Yeah. And the amount, the amount of waste there is phenomenal. Um, and there's also that other bit that he wasn't 
we would never have known, which is that these coffee shops, independent and big chains, have to pay the council for these special coffee bags, even though the disposal isn't really any different. Uh, they have to pay for these special bags. So there's a, a cost there for them as well. So we said, well, that's interesting. Next day he goes back. How do you feel if I start taking your coffee at the end of the day uh, instead? And then mm -hmm. so he, he, the guy was like, yeah, wicked, that'd be great, because then I don't have to pay. <laughs> um, so he started yeah. with this one coffee shop, and then I said, and then I, that, that was like, okay, we've got the problem. Um, so, you know, often businesses are a problem and a solution, and your service mm -hmm. or your product is, is the solution to that problem. So that was when I kind of came in and said, oh, my God, this could be the perfect one, because given I'd had a real interest in my teenage years in, in makeup and skincare, and at one point thought being a makeup artist might be my, you know, my... That was my slightly more risky creative uh, <laughs> job, job choice. Um, I, I knew that coffee had fantastic skincare benefits. And in other parts in the world, particularly in like Australia, coffee scrubs were a massive thing and, and really popular. So I thought, OK, well, let's let's consider turning it into exfoliators. And the more mm. research we did there, seeing that, you know, it, it definitely had its benefits. But then learning through all of these studies that have been done that the brewed coffee has a higher level of antioxidants than fresh coffee. So arguably through the brewing process, it gets even better for your skin, not worse, ah. et cetera, et cetera. Everything was, was pointing us in the direction that this was a, a good idea. Um, and there was nothing like it on the market. Loads of coffee scrubs, um, but none from um, upcycled coffee grounds. So that was where it all began. And we started going every day to this one coffee shop and mixing it into scrubs um, and then taking them to those shows to get a bit of feedback before we then just hit the ground running. And it, it went particularly quickly for us uh, within mm. the first few weeks because unbeknownst to us at the time, at one of these little markets, we had met the buyer to Urban Outfitters who wow. loved it. And then they emailed us saying, hey, we want to launch. And we didn't even have packaging at this point. So <laughs> it, um, yeah, it, it quickly accelerated. Oh, that's amazing. Like, that's amazing. You never, that's the thing, you never know who you're connecting with or who you're speaking yeah. to. It's so, like, so important to just be ready. Um, yeah. So what, what happened next if then you got involved with them? So it's one of those things where you always look back at your brand journey and you look at the early iterations of the products and you just absolutely cringe. Like it blows my mind <laughs> that they were, they, they took us on because again, like we really, we didn't even have packaging. So I remember us getting these packaging samples from a supplier, but they don't ever seal the top of the tubes when they send samples. So they're just perfect cylinders, almost like they're in a roll of a, a toilet roll or something. Mm -hmm. So we were spooning with spoons <laughs> this product into these tubes and they had a paper sticker stuck around them because, of course, they weren't branded. And then I used super glue and masking tape to try to seal the tops of them. It looked absolutely <laughs> awful. But then, you know, we just said, look, I don't think you're you're taking us on at this point because of the because of the branding or, or anything. They like the concept. And that's what's always sort of been the, the crux of what we do and what makes us stand mm -hmm. out. And that's helped us build our tribe so quickly is that the concept is is truly unique so yeah we we sent them off this absolutely crazy looking box of samples that we tried to add the bells and whistles on the you know a nice bow or whatever but inside it was chaos uh but anyway they liked them and they so they they uh they launched us into amazing it wasn't like you know global it was it was just across london stores but that was the first retailer under our belt and from there 
we could you know really get proper branding and, and not too long into it we, we raised investment so we could properly start to get professional mm-hmm. um and then and then yeah just never looked back since yeah so good uh, and I wanted to talk about the financing side of it because I saw somewhere um I think you started with a virgin startup loan right originally that's yeah. where I saw that and then obviously you went on Dragon's Den as well which I want really want to talk about um but yeah could you just like give us a bit of an insight into the financing side and how that went yeah sure so as you mentioned we started off with the virgin startup loan which is helpful because it's not just they don't just give you money and then wave goodbye um, they mm-hmm. come with a lot of mentorship schemes, which uh, one of which I think is called the Crowd Boost Accelerator or something. Uh, we went back on, I think it was like a year and a half in, in order to do a crowdfund. Uh, so the version startup loan, I think it was, it's, it's quite modest. It was like 10, 15,000 um, pounds, but it helps to just get your foot out the door. At that point, you're dealing with really small volumes in terms of your orders. You know, you're mm-hmm. <laughs> waiting around all morning to get one chime through. Um, so yeah, you, you don't necessarily need the sorts of money that you we would need now. That was helpful. That that helped us with some of the early decisions, getting the equipment that we needed and, and things like that. But then it was evident fairly quickly that we were going to need more, particularly for things like in, in, in our industry anyway, cosmetics and skincare. The packaging is really difficult, particularly mm-hmm. if you want it to be eco packaging, which is incredibly important for us. So to give a bit of context, if you want an aluminium tube uh, made just purely out of metal, they print directly onto that aluminium because if you don't then the labels have to be waterproof which means they have to have plastic Uh which completely undoes the whole recyclability so the minimum order quantities for something like that are mega uh talking like a hundred thousand per variant of product um which is extremely difficult when you're not anywhere doing that sort of uh volume of sales so we decided to crowdfund in order that we could make you know those those orders of packaging because mm-hmm. it's really difficult to, for us to have such a clear environmental message and then not be able to afford environmental packaging it, it just wasn't aligning at all so then we did a crowdfund where we raised i think we we ended up overfunded um our target was 200,000 pounds but we closed it in 3 days so that was really quick wow. but again that was very much down to my brother and the pre-planning there so we didn't launch on day 1 with 0% raised I think we launched with like 25, 30% that had already been privately secured before going public because it's all a it's a mental game, right? It's all psychology with that sort of thing. And when you say, oh, am I really going to invest 200 pounds when I can see that their target is 200,000 and no one else has invested yet? Um, yeah. So so that was that was very successful. And that was that was what helped us with um, packaging, I would say, was the main focus of that raise. And it was quite terrifying how quickly we steamed through the money. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, we we went on Dragon's Den. So they invited us on and it was one of those things where it just seemed like, how can we say no to that? You know, it's it's a potentially 15 minute slot on BBC One on I think it's Friday mm-hmm. night. Um, so we we went up to, to film the episode and it was a mad experience. Um, yeah I mean I don't know how to sum it up to be honest it was definitely a lot more intense than I was expecting yeah. we were in front of them for well over two hours probably close to three really? hours it's being absolutely grilled I can't lie I was extremely happy to have someone with a finance background because yeah. whilst I could talk forever about branding and packaging and concept and skincare and all of that um you know they were changing one variable in a in a you know in the, some of the, the, the monetary stuff and 
expecting just fluent knowledge off the back of it which I without that kind of background would never have been able to do no, ma mm. no matter how much you, you do your uh, your homework beforehand um but it, it went well we got three offers of investment um ended up taking a joint offer between two of them um but then what a lot of people don't know is that off air we we didn't move forwards with the investment we decided to continue to go it alone um mm -hmm. one of the reasons for that was because we had pitched on the show uh when we were about four or five months into a rebrand so i feel like the valuation and the amount of money that they were offering um wasn't reflective of the rebrand so at that mm -hmm. point we were about two and a half years into our journey and uh, again not coming with a skincare cosmetics background uh, formally we learn a lot as anyone does to be fair in those first few years so we decided to rebrand in order to pool all of the learnings that we've made and sort of future proof the brand uh, and it was mainly a branding decision to be honest um, in order that we could visualize what it would look like for a brand with 30 40 50 products as opposed to the one or two products that we had at the beginning um so yeah in the end we, we didn't move forwards with their investment but the experience itself uh, and the exposure on television was yeah crazy and absolutely worth it and also just to have a, a in no way polite critique <laughs> of what you're doing yeah is really beneficial it's not what you get from friends and family who will always sugarcoat or, yeah. or you know not not bring up the negative so even for that alone it was a brilliant experience yeah so what was that experience like actually like being on that floor for three hours in front of these people and like what was the what's the moment that really stands out for you was it the bit when you know they were giving the offers or like was there a key moment that really stood out for you that like a scary moment or something like that to be honest like just walking out of the lift it was what was really <laughs> funny for me is uh, i was talking talking a lot to the production before and it's always a big eye-opening experience if you've not been on sets much before which of course i haven't at all that everything is fake <laughs> so what you're used oh. to seeing on tv is not at all what it looks like in real life so like the lift for example is just a cardboard box it doesn't move it's not a lift oh. <laughs> and every, everything's on one floor and you've got all of the galleyways that have got all the production and you can see people watching you from from um kind of the galleries and I, I remember just thinking it was hilarious that everything I touched was, you know, very light. It, it wasn't made of real brick or anything like that. Mm. And I was relieved because I, it's like a warehouse style, right? And I was wearing these ridiculous shoes that were so uncomfortable. And I didn't realize how long we were going to be in there. So I was regretting that. <laughs> um, but I thought, oh, thank goodness. When I was in the lift, I thought, oh, at least the floors are fake. Because you always worry when you're in like stiletto heels that with traditional warehouse style floors, your heels can just disappear between the wood slats yeah. and I'm like yeah. I'm going to end up on my bum this is not going to be good <laughs> and then when the door opens to the actual studio I looked down at the floor and I thought of course that's the one thing that's real like it was this beautiful oh. old floor with holes in it everywhere and I was like that is just typical so that was one moment just from like you know I mean it's in no way related to what we were there to do but um that was like a, oh my god I can't believe this um but other than that I think doing the demo and like literally inviting like peter jones and deborah meaden to come up and try our scrubs mm. and stuff like that. it just it's a really surreal uh mm. moment when you've seen these people on tv particularly some of the longer standing dragons and here they are um you know sitting back down and uh, yeah it's very very funny yeah who was your favorite uh peter jones to be honest i think he was 
he was the first person to make an offer and I was expecting him to be the most critical. Uh, it actually went completely the opposite way to what we anticipated. Deborah Meadon was the most critical and Peter was the least. And he just, I think he believed in us as people as well, mm -hmm. which is always nice. He thought that we were really investable and um, it, it had been hours and hours, as I mentioned, of all of this chat um, of, of like heavy, heavy finance stuff. And then at the end, he just was like, right, when was the last time you had a fight? And then there was like this 15 <laughs> minutes of all this sibling based chat of just like, yeah. you know, who's who's this one? Who's this one? Who's the mum's favourite? Blah, blah, blah. And I just thought it was quite a nice way to break the ice and mm -hmm. unexpected. Like just really. And, but also, look, don't get me wrong. I'm sure he was um, doing it strategically also to figure mm -hmm. out. I know with um, you know, whether it's husband and wife co-founders or uh, sibling, family, whatever, when, you know, relationships like that are involved it can be quite risky if then when it goes wrong it goes wrong really badly so I'm sure there was a bit of strategy there but uh he surprised me and and he was very positive and uh really constructive and if we were to have gone with one I, I think he would have been the choice yeah what like what an amazing experience though and I actually I've heard from um other I know a couple of people who have gone on before and I've heard that not many companies actually go ahead and take the investment because obviously the exposure mm. is so amazing on the show as well. Um, mm. But yeah, like super interesting experience. And, and also just um, being able to speak about your business in front of these complete experts as well and just get that real-time feedback, like amazing. Mm. It was nice for us because we were in the process of that rebrand, but we were presenting the old brand and everything that they criticised, we knew we were fixing through the uh, rebrand. So it, was, so it was such a confidence boost with regards yeah. to us making the right decision there. Um, so that was that was a nice little perk as well. Yeah. Um, okay, so something I've noticed that you're really good at and I, and I don't, we haven't gone into like roles and responsibilities between you and your brother, but I'm thinking he might be the finance one because he's yeah. from the finance background. And I'm thinking you are more on the marketing side. And I, when I when I research guests, I'll always have a look and see what other interviews they, they've done. And there are so many interviews, so much PR out there on you, that mm. like, interviews that you've done. And I think that's so amazing. Um, do you have any kind of tips on like PR and doing that kind of thing for first time founders? Yeah, I think that the approach that I take is to say yes to everything, to be honest. <laughs> I, I never think that we are too small for something or too big for something. Um, I think that there is massive potential, as we mentioned with Urban Outfitters, right? You never know who you're going to meet or who you're talking mm. to. Um, so I, I just try to say yes to as much as I possibly can, because there's, there's merit in everything that you're doing. And I think particularly in the early days, um, experimenting with as many different channels as possible is really important. So podcasts are something that I've done as a standard sort of throughout, through lockdowns and stuff. Oh, my goodness. It, it shot yeah. through the roof, as you can imagine. Um, but I think you've got it completely right with regards to the split that William and I have. We are we have to be as because we're siblings, very careful with that so that we're not treading on each other's toes. There is crossover, mm -hmm. but he's very much back of house, um, dealing with the big picture, nitty-gritty stuff that you don't often see. Whereas I'm the opposite of that. If there's ever press or anything outward facing, uh, it will be me and my voice and my face and stuff like that, which admittedly, as we get older. Uh, and bigger that gets scarier because <laughs> the stakes mm. are higher and the criticism does 
fly in uh, in a way that it never would have done in the early years. When you first start out, everyone is backing you. Everyone loves you. Everyone supports what you're doing and thinks it's the coolest and the best. When you're six years in, you start to find that you're all almost perceived as one of the big bad ones, um, which is a bit unfair, to be honest, but it's that classic. It's like loving a musician until they they're actually truly successful and get in the charts and then you decide you hate them even though the music yeah. the person is exactly the same um, so yeah. that's that's a, that's a difficult one to take from from someone who is like front of house uh but no generally my advice is just to yeah never be intimidated by something to the point that you think oh my god no i can't do that uh dragon's den prime example we just went on even though we weren't necessarily ready we could have waited and done it post uh rebrand but again i think that there's just merit in just saying yes let's go don't let any opportunity pass you by um and, and same for smaller opportunities as well they might seem small or like you're past it or, or whatever um but i never take that view so long as time allows um i i try to say yes to as much as i possibly can which is why there's so much out there and it's so varied um but i think yeah. it's also a, a very helpful thing for continuing to refresh the way you speak about your brand and your products and new products that uh, projects that you're working on what better way mm -hmm. than to continue to be interviewed uh, which yeah. helps refine your messaging and your packaging and your website so it all trickles back down to the bigger picture stuff anyway yeah it's funny with like with online businesses because you don't you don't get to necessarily meet or see your customers so much so it's kind of strange mm. situation so I, I almost think having those forums of where you can talk and show your face around your brand and like create that human kind of relationship is really important as well. I couldn't agree more. You you never, and I always pick up, I'll be like, oh, I said an amazing sentence that just rolled off the tongue. And I'm like, <laughs> I used to remember that. And then it will end up being like a tagline for a, yeah. a, a new product launch or something. So I think, yeah, as we've said, that the, there's a huge amount to be said for just having free flowing conversations um, in setups just like this, where you can take that back and, um, you know, or spread it to your sales team and be like, oh my God, I've stumbled across this mm. golden nugget of a sentence. Like you should use that in your elevator pitch for this or that or whatever. So um, yeah, yeah. Saying yes is my advice generally with PR. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's so, it's great. Um, something else I noticed as well was that you have so much uh, content around awareness of different kind of campaigns and you've got this big platform now obviously as the business has grown and I see that like quite a few brands try and do this but I don't know if many do it well and I think mm -hmm. you you do it really well what what's behind that and um how do, how do you think the right way to think about this is because a lot of these issues or campaigns are, are sensitive and mm -hmm. um, I think some people are so quick to kind of jump on them because it's a trending topic or whatever and yeah, not necessarily yeah. for the right reasons so I'd love to hear a bit around that like that and advice for people on how to fit that into their brand yeah it's a great question and it's something that we think about so so much and again it's one of those things also that only becomes more terrifying as the brand gets bigger but it's also yeah. so very very important to us as people you know the whole point of starting the business in the first place was to have a business that had a purpose beyond profit and i think that one of the things that we feel really passionate about is not letting our purpose end with our products and mm -hmm. as you do build a brand you don't stand for just the products you make you stand for much broader things so mm -hmm. you know for example our commitment to being vegan and cruelty free has a much broader animal welfare 
uh, angle to it. And and when we watch bad things that we're really passionate about in the world happen, it's very difficult not to see the opportunity that is there with regards to speaking up and, and having a voice on, on those issues and on those topics. But as you've mentioned, it's a fine balance because the, the last thing that we would want to be would be performative and using that as some sort of marketing ploy mm. in order to make people love our products more and therefore buy our products more. That 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 can never be it. Um, mm. And so we, we think very carefully with each thing that we do to make sure that whatever benefit there might be perceived to be with that is never directed towards us. It's directed towards the people involved in the original thing that we're, we're talking about. But I think our, our tone of voice and as a brand has always been very unapologetic. Um, we are quite bold and quite brave. And, and if we have people who don't like what we're saying, that's kind of okay. We're, we're willing mm -hmm. to state our point and listen to other people's points. And that's, that's absolutely fine. It goes back to our concept. Uh, you know, we're dealing with issues of waste in the beauty industry. Those are two completely polarizing ends of the scale. We have certain people that say, that's gross. Um, why would you do that? That's horrible. I want no part of it. And that's, we're not even going to try and argue with you. <laughs> that's fine. You haven't listened, whatever. Um, but we've always been passionate about having an audience that are passionate rather than a, a massive audience who just don't really care about what we do or what we say. We're also a very young team. So our average age is 27. We worked out the other day, which was even to me, it was quite crazy. Yeah. Um, so we, we do have genuine passions for, for these sorts of things. So uh, whether it's Black Lives Matter or uh, the wake of Sarah Everett's uh, death, mm -hmm. um, whatever the, the bigger picture thing is that's happening, we kind of bring our, our heads together and think, okay, well, what can we do here? Um, so we've done huge amounts of donations and um using our brand in order to raise awareness but then making sure that that ends up with an action at the end of it so um with black lives matter that that was uh we, we made book bundles with um black protagonists and authors that we sent out to hundreds of uk primary schools in order to sort of um it was all a concept about um tackling the issue in, in, in children and in parenting and things like that and and, and representation before it gets to the other the kind of other end of the spectrum and then with Sarah Everard we did uh, free soap bars for people writing to their MP in order to make oh, uh, sexual harassment a, a crime etc etc so uh, it, it's using the platform that we had in order to kind of direct things away from us um, mm -hmm. towards towards bigger picture things that, that we feel really uh, passionate about but yeah there's nothing worse I, I always am I'm one of those people who's rolling my eyes when you see oh yeah we yeah, it's pride month at the moment for example and you just see yeah. bands being like oh it's pride month we're going to make our logo uh, a rainbow flag that's like yeah okay <laughs> cool yeah exactly <laughs> yeah I, that's and that's why i wanted to talk about this because i see i think it's a lot of um women like running businesses they have such good intentions with this but it's hard to and sometimes they don't even do anything around it because they're too scared of how they might be seen yeah, and yeah. they're doing it wrong so i i did really want to talk about that and i love your ideas and what you've done on so many levels and even as well like on a personal level because when you think about um when you think about your story and how you didn't like your job and your brother didn't like your job and you wanted to do something impactful really the the dream wasn't making a cosmetics company it was more mm -hmm. about like solving a waste problem so mm -hmm. then 
then making cosmetics out of waste out of waste becomes the vehicle where you can actually um you know help that cause so there's so many ways of being able to do that and and once you bro grow a platform it's not just about donations like you can use that as raising awareness exactly what you said and and I imagine that's what then fills that gap that you had in your last career of like not feeling that tangible impact yeah. um like yeah it's 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 such a it's such a wonderful place to be in to be honest and there's that 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 side of things but then also the side of things that I feel equally passionate about given the industry that we are in i.e beauty and cosmetics because I don't know about you but I was just so it's one of those industries that can actually make people feel worse about themselves rather than better right yeah you go to buy a product and it's like for a mascara for example I know when I was younger mascara ads were actually laughable because they would then say in the small print oh this has been filmed with um lash inserts and post-production and you yeah. can tell because they look ridiculous no one's eyes yeah. look like that and it was just all so so very fake um so again being in in that sphere I feel so passionately about having a huge range of diversity in terms of you know our social media feed or whatever and and the people and the faces of my brand so we just mm -hmm. launched an spf recently and we had we, we basically opened up to our audience hey does anyone want to come and be the face of our spf and the amount wow. of uh, response that we got to that was insane so we booked a studio in london and um had like 15 minute slots per person just got through as many people as we possibly could so now i've got the, i mean honestly ranging from 18 year olds to probably i mean my mum was there she's she's in her 70s uh plus uh all shapes and sizes all skin tones uh you know clear skin not clear skin and and, and just everything a, a massive array of you know normal people and that's always been our approach to kind of imagery and and uh and that sort of thing as well so I, I feel really pleased that I genuinely have built a brand and a product that, you know, that the, the feedback that we get every day is, you know, I feel so proud to support this. And it's so nice to see on your website when I'm buying a product, there's someone there with acne for an acne focused bundle of skincare products, for example, rather than someone doing a spot treatment where they clearly never had a spot in their life or whatever. So that's that's another thing that, that, that brings me great joy in what we've built yeah it's there's so many lessons in that and just like leading by example as well to kind of create this exponential change with other people and i really like how you kind of unapologetically just have your own agenda with it and just do your own thing yeah. because but because also like who wants to be in business in just creating this a replica of something that's already been done and you know if you don't mm. if you don't give yourself that creative freedom you're almost kind of just back in your corporate job you know what i mean exactly so, exactly so yeah it's such great lessons um okay so for the last sort of 10 10 minutes um i do this quick fire round so it's just three Ooh. questions yeah <laughs> um so the number one is how did you get your first 10 sales uh first 10 sales would definitely have been at market stalls uh just in real life telling people about the products meeting them having them smell them tangibly so yes market stalls around london nice yeah i love that i think people won't even think of that and that's so, even before you have a business just to wait a test 
Yeah, yeah. so, so good. It, it, it's cheap, it's effective, you meet loads of people. And, and you'll also, like I said with the dragons, but to a much lesser extent, you get, you can see on their facial expression <laughs> if something's not right. If they smell something, yeah. they hate it. You're like, okay, they can't hide that. So that's always helpful too. Yeah, yeah, love that. Okay, number two, what sets women apart as leaders? This is the Female Leadership Collective podcast. So I always ask what people think sets women apart as leaders. Oh, that's a great question and one that could be answered in so many different ways. Um, yeah. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps controversial, but I do believe we're more resilient. Um, and mm -hmm. I generally believe that we uh, are better at seeing things from more people's perspectives. Um, I don't know whether that's just too much of a generalization, but those are genuine beliefs that I have. Um, so I think it's been a it's been a mad experience for me growing a team from nothing whereas my background was in management as I mentioned I was, I was in supermarkets where each store would have maybe 50 staff um and you could see that as being much more intimidating but I found it much more intimidating building a team one by one and we're now nearly mm -hmm. 20 people so still arguably quite small but the nature of management for a team of that size when you are the leader uh versus you know coming in as a fresh-faced person with a team already established or a team where you're building from zero to 50 in like three weeks uh is, is totally different and i would argue that the smaller is much more challenging um so i think i think really realizing in myself that you have that ability um or, or at least like the the ability to think about the things that uh my brother for example which i have a cross comparison with just wouldn't uh, yeah. with regards to the thoughts and individual needs um of the people that you're managing is something that i think women do particularly well yeah that that's definitely been my my experience as well to be honest mm. um Okay, final question. Um, so something that always comes up in the community, which stops people from taking action on, you know, leaving their job, starting a business, is fear, and fear of so many different things. So I always like to ask people, what's their number one tip for overcoming fear in business? Um, I'd say trust your instinct, trust your gut. No one knows what you're doing or your concept or your idea more than you do. So don't, allow yourself to be torn into loads of different directions by taking on everyone's opinions I think that's one thing because I wasn't an expert and I was young and I was female I thought oh god okay well who am I to do this um so let me ask loads of questions with people who've been doing it for ages um and actually all that did was water down what we were doing and what made what we were doing so special and so unique and so different um we're very forward thinking as a brand and we're a brand that constantly evolved to be even more forward thinking to keep ourselves ahead of the game um but in those early stages i mean this is why we had to rebrand ultimately uh we allowed fear based on someone else saying oh god no that's a terrible idea um mm -hmm. to 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 water down everything that we were doing to make it that little bit more beige um, that little, you know, slightly less offensive to a certain few, whereas that certain few aren't who we're going for anyway. So know your audience, know what you're doing, be bold, be brave, um, trust your instincts and don't take on everyone's advice. Listen to it, but you don't have to run with it or else you'll just be stretched and pulled into a million different directions.
yeah I love that advice and actually that takes work as well to like oh almost God, yeah. build this wall build this wall and this protection armor of like not letting you know no keep going that way <laughs> you know it's just like I know how that feels for sure um okay Anna this episode has been amazing and you've just given so much advice and wisdom um where can the listeners go and find the brand where can they go and find you share all the links and I'll put them in the show notes Absolutely. So easiest is probably on our website, which we have in different regions. So uh, UK version is just upcirclebeauty.com. Then for anywhere across the EU, it's just eu.upcirclebeauty.com. And then unsurprisingly, in the States, it's us.upcirclebeauty.com. Uh, on each of those respective websites, we've got lists of our stockists in physical retail and online retail as well. Um, in the UK, where we are, we're in Sainsbury's, we're in Holland and Barrett, we're with Space NK, Anthropology online with places like feel unique look fantastic and Ocado as well so plenty of places mm -hmm. for you to pick them up um, but if in doubt just drop us a dm on instagram and we can find your uh, nearest stockist for you no matter where you are amazing such an impressive list of retailers as well yeah. <laughs> like, you've been working wow. hard <laughs> yeah i'm like damn i didn't ask her about that <laughs> well there's so many things i could have asked you but yeah um we're back to part two one day <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but honestly thank you so much for coming on and um giving your time it's been amazing no thank you so much i've loved every second I just wanted to tell you about an incredible free event that I've organized called the Female Startup Summit. This is the most exciting announcement and exciting thing I've put out there yet. And I've rounded up seven incredible speakers for you with amazing workshops like branding your business, managing your money as an entrepreneur, human design, getting sales on autopilot using funnels. Like honestly, the lineup is so, so good. I'm so excited and the best part tickets are absolutely free of charge and you can sign up using the link in the show notes so this event is for you if you have a dream of starting your own online business and moving to Bali or traveling the world or perhaps you started your business but you're in a bit of a funky place with it and you want to get some inspiration this is the event for you and it's totally free. The summit is designed to be completely convenient for you so it's easily watchable from anywhere in the world. None of this having to get up in the middle of the night to watch a live video because, you know, let's be honest, no one really wants to do that. <laughs> the speakers have each pre-recorded their value-packed workshops and access will be unlocked one by one every morning from the 10th of July. So all you have to do is find an hour a day to watch each workshop at a time that suits you. Master classes will be available for 10 days after July the 10th and on top of the fact that it's free we've decided to give everyone who registers the chance to win over $1,000 of prizes our speakers have been super generous with the prizes and there are places on their courses little one-to-one -one sessions it's an amazing prize and one lucky winner will take the lot so you have to be in it to win it register and you might win that incredible prize head over to the show notes and save your spot now spaces are limited so be quick and please share the love for this event and encourage your friends to attend too it's going to be such a valuable week and what you'll learn in this summit could help you start your dream business that could be your take out of your nine to five honestly it's gonna be amazing head to the link in the show notes and sign up now 